Welcome to No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. I'm your host and executive director of No Heart Left Behind, Alicia Stickles. If we're honest, family life can be hard. Family can be our greatest blessing, but also the source of our deepest wounds. At No Heart Left Behind, we have a passion to empower families to thrive with the Word of God and the love of Christ. So each week, we're going to have real conversations about hard issues facing families today. It is our hope that you would be equipped with practical tools based on biblical principles for when life happens and relationships get messy. In other words, how do we flesh out all those Bible verses we know when life isn't looking like we had hoped? If you're in a season of family life that feels hopeless or you have a heart to navigate the challenges of family well, but just don't know how, you're in the right spot. So whether you are driving in your car or checking off one of your honeydews, pop in those earbuds and come find hope in the heart of family life with us. Welcome, friends, back to another episode of NHLB's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. I um, am Alicia Stickles. I'm also the executive director of No Heart Left Behind, and I am here with my mom, Lead counselor, founder of No Heart Left Behind, Abby Shields. I'm just an all-around good kind of person. <laughs> yes, she is. <laughs> so today, uh, we are going to be wrapping up our series uh, on marriage, the Broken Together Marriage Series. So I think there has been, I don't know, just for me personally, it's funny how like when you're, when you're doing stuff like this and you're having discussions about it, how things come up in your marriage and you're like, oh, that's we, what we meant. That's what we were talking about. <laughs> I don't necessarily like the idea that I get the opportunity to apply all of this. Stuff. <laughs> but that's what it's all about. It is. It yeah. is. I'm kidding. Um, so as we wrap up this series on marriage and um, we've talked about like a, a lot a lot of stuff. I right. mean, stuff that we usually spend six, eight weeks teaching, you know, in churches and just different family focused classes. So we've we've covered a lot. I mean, we've talked about um, conflict resolution, conflict resolution, like communication. Yep. We've talked about what else have we talked the, about? The root of our issues, where where our brokenness where comes from. Mm -hmm. um, I remember one thing that was really impactful for me was um, contract marriage versus covenant marriage and how, you know, mar uh, the kind of marriage that God calls us to is not one of, if you do this, then no. I'll do that. It's one of a complete giving of self, which is why marriage is a so model of the way Christ loves the church. And that's, um, what he's called us to. So just so much good stuff, but, um, what I want to do today, if we could just try to put a pretty bow on all of these things that we've discussed and really get down to the root of answering that question that we started with, how do we live broken together? Um, I mean, I, I really feel like that it's all about walking in God's love. Right. 
I mean, and we got to remember that the world's way is how, and so our focus has been moving away from the world's way of how, the seven steps and seven habits, and remembering that it's the who, that the way you are to live broken together is with the who, which is Christ at the center of your marriage. And I think, too, it's important to note that it's not just about knowing these principles. It's, okay, it's quite, I can know contract versus covenant. I can know um, steps for conflict resolution. Yes, mm-hmm. and all of those things. But if I am not walking in God's love, if I'm not walking in these things, then it's really not going to affect um, my marriage or have that impact in a way that it that it could. Right. So because it's not just no, it's kind of like the statement that says knowledge without application. You might as well not have the knowledge. Yeah. And so it's all about. Uh, and I think we've given some the good steps to be able to, so how do I do this? It's with applying it yes. and the scriptures, et cetera, that we've gone over. Yeah. So when we talk about, because here's the thing that I think about love is, again, and we may have said this in other episodes, but is it, you know, love, the word love, it's so, it's such a commonplace. So we say walking in God's love, it's just... What are we what are we talking about exactly here? Right. Well, we got to also remember that you don't want to equate God's love with and this is where I think the hard part on the word love comes in is that like I love pizza. Um I love the dance and I love my husband. Now, loving pizza is a whole lot different than loving my spouse. And so What does it look like? I think the first step in applying love is understanding the love that God desires us to live out of. And, you know, there's all kinds of love there's that are mentioned in the Bible. There's Eros love, and Eros love is the romance love based on physical attraction, okay? Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, you know, people will come into my office and they'll say, well, I love him, but I'm not in love with him or them. And, you know, what does that mean? Basically, it's my physical attraction is no longer there. And that's okay. the loss of Eros love. And then, there's, and so then a lot of people just automatically think, well, I don't... I don't love him anymore. Right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then there's Philos or Philos. I don't know how you say that, really. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> Uh, brotherly love or friendship love based on common interests. And that's kind of where a a relationship begins. And I mean, you can equate these two. Um, There's a a whole bunch of uh, other loves, uh, especially those mentioned in the Song of Solomon about Raya love. Uh, Raya love is friendship love, and that kind of goes along with the Philos love. Uh, The Ahava love, and I, I love that term, Ahava. And that is once I have a friendship foundation with my spouse or with my person that I'm dating, it then moves into choice love where I can't, I don't want to be without my friend. And so you then move up the ladder to choice love. And then finally, uh, the third love, which kind of goes along with all of this that's mentioned, is something called dode love. And that's the sexual sensual kind of love. Uh, but we're not here to talk about those are all parts of ultimately the uh, crowning love, which is redemptive love, or as we talked about earlier, you and I together. It'd also be called agape, agape love. love. Right. Now, before we jump into agape love, just real quick, you had met, said something interesting in our conversations about like couples that walk into your office. There's, they, 
Um, like they jump to different, th like things are out of whack. Like the friendship love is not there and there's frustration because like that the those types of loves are right. out of balance. Right. A lot of times today people will meet someone, but they don't take time to develop the friendship love. They immediately go to the dode love, which is the sexual sensual love. And so then they think that now that we've been sexually intimate, with one another, then that must mean that we are grounded and love one another. But it, And that's the sad part, I think, in today's society is that we don't take the time to develop the relationships to get to really know one another in that aspect. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then when that runs out and there's no friendship, right. then, yeah, those it can cause all kinds of issues. Right. But I digress, but I just thought that was very interesting of that those three types of love that you just mentioned all play need, a role yeah, in right, a marriage. Right. You need all three for the big flame, you know, and one without, you know, if you only have two of the three, you need all three. Yeah. And with God's love, you know, at the center at of the it, center. which is that highest form of love, which is redemptive love or Agape love. Yes, because mm -hmm. I what was it for, in First John four? I can't remember the verse, but where where it says God is love, right. um, you know the the word for love there is agape, and that's the kind of love that, you know, when expectations aren't being met, and you know your spouse is not is you know. Again, maybe just living, not living up to expectations right. or you're having struggles is kind of like, you know, we all sign up for the richer and better parts of marriage. Right. But agape, this choice, unconditional, Sacrificial. Per perfect love, redemptive love is so important when the worser and poorer sides come in. It's right. like we like the richer and better, but... When the worse and poorer comes, which they will always come. They will. If you're married and breathing and living, you will have the worse and poorer. Because everybody, cause we all have seasons of that because right. we are broken people. Absolutely. So um, so let's get into talking about that. What, you know, um, where does redemptive love come from? Like what? What are we talking about here? Right. Well, redemptive love is the love we find at the cross. And that's where my focus always is. If Christ loved me enough to sacrifice his life on that cross and went through the pain that he went through for me, and he's asking me to love with that love, how can I not? So that's where your focus needs to be with redemptive love is the love that you find at the cross. Yeah, yeah I find that, you know, um, again, this is where we kind of come in um, you know, because the love that we see demonstrated on the cross through Christ is radically different from our natural human way of loving. Like, you know, the world says, teach me seven steps so that I know how to love. And what I feel like God says, God says, if you want to know how to love, look at my son. Right. Right. And that's where the sacrificial part of redemptive love comes in, because sacrificing oneself because of Christ crucified that's the love of God for us that produces love in us by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And I think, too, it's also important to know is that, or at least for me, what sets redemptive love apart is that it begins in a person's spirit, right? right. They're right. not, it's not, it's not based feelings. on feelings. Right. You know, feelings give us an indication, again, of what's going on inside of us, and we need to pay attention to them, but they're not 
truth. truth. Right. Yeah. Right. You always say this phrase to me, um, the who is the how. And sometimes that is so incredibly frustrating. <laughs> but at the same time, very true. You know, getting back to what we were saying of, you know, we want concrete, we want steps and and just Jesus did not die on the cross to give us seven steps and seven habits. He came to give us his life. And that life, as Galatians 2.20 says, resides within us. Yeah. And so because of that, then if I want to know what it looks like to love my spouse redemptively, that's where I look. I look unto the life of Jesus. And so there's all kinds of examples in his behavior um, to see this form of love. If you look in at John 13, 3 through 20, that's the scriptures where he washes the disciples' feet when the disciples were too proud to wa wash each other's feet. And so you see humility there where he's willing to stoop and bend and to do that which we are not willing to do. I see. I also just see service right. in that. Right. And like, that's the last thing he did before he, for his disciples, when he went to the cross. I mean, if, if, of all the things he could have left his disciples with, like, let me give you seven steps or whatever. Mm -hmm. He didn't do that. He set for them an example. And especially in the context of that time, right. I mean, uh, rabbis didn't do that for their students. Like, that was not... Something that, that was They typical. did, especially because how disgusting people were. Like, so. Alicia has a foot fetish. <laughs> not a fetish. I have a problem with <laughs> Um, uh, so to me, like that just looks like complete humility, um, in service. I mean, the other thing I think about when I'm looking at the life of Jesus and the way he interacted with people is that he moved towards oh, broken people. He touched the lepers. He, you know, loved the unlovable. And, you know, if I'm thinking about my own spouse and just my marriage, you know, when, when things get worse and harder and poorer, like my instant reaction is to move away, like to withdraw. That's my defense mechanism. That's just my, you know, as a result of my wounding, that's what I do as I move away. But if I'm looking at the, you know, the way Christ loved is he moved towards, towards. the unlovable and so in those times where I do not feel like my husband is lovable, like those are the times that I need to press into the spirit inside of me and move towards him and not, and not away. So that's, that's a big one for me. What, what do you think is a big one um, for you? Oh, golly. I'll give you two. Okay, give me two. Oh, you get, you no, want, you can you, you can say too if you're having trouble deciding. Oh, okay. Well, you kind of the one that stands out for me is how he touched the lepers when they when the law said you weren't supposed to touch them. Okay, he forgave the prostitutes in Luke seven thirty six through fifty, and forgiving them, you know, should he have forgiven them, the world would say no, mm -hmm. but God said forgive. Okay, and we're going to be touching on forgiveness, or I think we already have. Haven't yeah, we well, touched? we talked a lot about mm -hmm. forgiveness mm -hmm. when in you and Dad's story, and I know that forgiveness played 
just a big part in you two being able to be reconciled mm-hmm. to each other um, because, I mean, you're not going to get through your marriage without forgiveness. No, you're not. Not at all. Because, again, being broken means you're going to fall short and your spouse is going to fall short. Right. And so knowing how to ask for forgiveness as well as give forgiveness, um, even when our spouse doesn't deserve it, like they haven't earned it, they haven't, um, you know, made up for the mistake and all of that, um, right. you know, God calls us to forgive. I think another characteristic of Christ's love is that this is a love that cared so deeply. I mean, he cared so deeply that he looked at people and saw men and women made in his image, even when they were filled with evil, greed, and selfishness. That's why I constantly say when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Having Christ's perspective of my spouse allows me to see them as God sees them, even though they are filled with greed and anger and resentment. And that's where loving with Christ's love is so different than loving with the world's love. And it is a process to learn that. It's not a bibbidi-bobbidi-boo kind of event where you wave them on and then boom, you love them. It all comes out of the power of the resurrected life in you because of the cross. I think I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. It was God saying to me when I wanted to divorce my husband and I wanted to leave him and I was asked, crying out to him saying, do I leave or do I stay? And God said, stay. And I said, that's not the answer <laughs> I wanted. I don't love him anymore. And God, as clear as I am talking on this podcast, the Holy Spirit said to me, we know you don't love him with your love anymore because your human love ran out. And it does. But then that's when God said, but we love him. We die. I sent my son to die for him. He is worth loving, but when your love is run at, runs out, grab a hold of my love because I love him and love him with God's love until you can love him again. And that is so powerful. That one thing, well, it's not the only thing, but that was one of the things that made me realize that love was not a feeling. It was a choice. It was a an action to say, okay, I don't love him, but my my, I will love my husband with your love because you died on the cross for me. And if you're asking me to love my husband with your love and you died for me, then I'm going to do that for you. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I can remember, um, I mean, I've heard that you talk about that many, many times. And I probably talked about it before, but I, I will continue <laughs> to talk. And anytime I'm talking about love, I will remind people that that is how you get through those dry periods of love in your marriage, is that understand there is a greater love than your love, your human love, and that is the agape, agape redemptive, redemptive love. love. And that's what we're talking about today. So um, what does it look like to apply this redemptive love to our marriage? Like what are some, I guess, keys 
to be able to do that because mm-hmm. again it's all about walking in it right. um it's not just about knowing okay this is what god's love looks like what is it how do we flesh that out right so what do you feel like are some important things i there? think one of the most important things i've learned over the years about love was when i did a bible study a beth moore bible study and on love and I think the greatest points that I took away from that were those things I want to share with you right now is that the truth about God's love and how to apply it with the who, okay? First of all, understand that God's love is a perfect love, Mm -hmm. okay? It is not a human love. It is a spiritual perfect love, okay? But that sounds so intimidating because we are human. <laughs> well, we, we are, but act, but so let's move on because that's the first step for you to recognize that God's love is perfect love. But then nothing can separate me from God's perfect love. It says uh, somewhere in scripture, I forget, maybe in Romans, about nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's truth. Nothing, no matter what I do. God still loves me. His love of me is not based on performance. Therefore, if God's love is not based on performance, then he asks me to love not with my fleshly love, which is based on performance. I'll love you if I love you when, but that agape, I love you, Mm -hmm. period. Okay. So then the third point of that is that God pours his perfect love into my imperfect heart. God, so it's all him. It's all him. So it doesn't need to be intimidating. No. I just need to abide in him. Yeah, yeah. That's the vine and he's the vine and we're the branches. Abide in him. John 15. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of my favorites. Well, everything's my favorite. But. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is your favorite. And I, think, and, and I think you bring up a really good point is that until we have experienced the love of Christ, that unconditional, grace-filled, forgiving, agape type of love for ourselves, like deep in our guts, we we can't pour that out to others. Right. Like in order for us to love well, we need to believe and know that we are well-loved. And so I feel like that is an important um I guess you would call it evaluation piece is that have I experienced this like really for myself where I have just come face to face with Jesus and um, met him as my healer, redeemer, lover of my soul and just really believe the identity that he gives me as a holy and blameless beloved child of God. And until, until I experience that, it's, I mean, I, I guess, can I use the word impossible to be able to love my spouse? It's almost like being a used car salesman. You don't believe what you're selling if you haven't experienced, you know, if you haven't experienced it for yourself. So I feel like that is the starting place would you agree right so you'll never love well until you know you're well loved yes okay right Mm -hmm. is that what i hear you saying yeah 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 and so because of that then all of these other three things that i said about god's love is perfect and nothing can separate you from god's perfect love that god pours his perfect love into my imperfect heart then the final thing is accessed accessing god's love 
I can love anybody through anything. Okay? Through his strength. Through his strength, not in my own. Okay? Because ultimately, human love is self-seeking. And remember, I think I said a while back that the DNA of sin is self. And that's why human love is self-seeking. We don't live to love. We live to be loved. We are motivated always to get something out of it. God asks that we love our spouse because we are already loved, not so that we will be loved. Does that make sense? Well, I guess it is. I mean, if I understand you correctly, it just sounds, it goes back to when we understand that we are well loved, then that enables and empowers us to be able to love well. Right. Yeah. Right. So. And I, and I think finally, to be able to apply this is for you to understand that the struggle in life is between romantic love, which is the world's way, versus the essence of love. And what I mean by that is that the essence of love is sacrificial commitment to the good of the other person. That means that love is more fundamentally an action than an emotion. Yeah, and the world would definitely yeah. base it on emotions. You know, as we wrap up, um, and I'm sure many listeners out here have done this before, but for me it was like I had never done it before, and it um, I think really helped me get a deeper understanding of when it talks about, you know, loving our spouse well. And it comes from that, you know, tried and true wedding verse that you hear at like almost every wedding, wedding ceremony. Almost ad nauseum. Yeah, I mean, that <laughs> try going to a wedding with a marriage counselor is quite <laughs> fun. Um, it's an interesting experience. Um, but the verse that just talks about what love is, love is, and this is in 1 Corinthians 13, starting in verse 4, and it says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And so you can read that, and like you said, we hear it over and over again. Um, and, you know, we're like, okay, yeah, but... I did an exercise the other day where it said, go back and insert your name into that scripture. So wherever you see the word love, you insert your name and it just reads <laughs> so much heavier and you really see what part of this am I not living? Yes. What part of this am I not living Am I really loving my spouse well with this redemptive love that um, we're called to love with? And so if I said, Alicia is patient, Alicia is kind, Alicia does not envy, it does not boast, Alicia is not proud, and, and it goes on and on and on. The one that really like punches me in the stomach is, Alicia is not self-seeking, Alicia does not keep a record of wrongs. You know, Because we do. <laughs> those two are like a one-two punch for me, but um, I don't know, just that idea of you know, really understanding one, what God's love is and walking in that. And that when we choose to walk in that, that there really isn't anyone that God has not empowered us to love as we abide in him and experience his love for ourselves. Wouldn't you say? Absolutely. 
And I think the enemy's greatest weapon is having us believe that our spouse is the enemy and therefore we're fighting against each other and we then begin not to love with God's love because then it's the the conflict and all of that that pushes us apart and causes us not to love the way God wants us to love. Absolutely. Well, I, for one, have definitely loved this series and um, I know that it has given me a lot to chew on, pray about, talk with God about, and just examine my own heart. And so I'm just really grateful um, that you're here sharing, sitting in my closet, <laughs> sharing your wisdom and your knowledge with us. So it's been fun. Yeah. We are back again at um, our Counselor's Corner segment, and this is where I get to ask you questions from our listeners, and you can give your dear Abbeus <laughs> version of yourself <laughs> that you can give. And I find that challenging because, you know, these, challenging. there's some pretty intense questions here, and that could know. definitely do like an hour session on a lot of these, but here, I'm about to throw this one at you. I, I don't think this one is any different, um, but curl up on the couch and here yeah. we go. <laughs> All right. So um, a listener writes in and says, I have been struggling with some feelings of unforgiveness with my spouse for some things she has done. I like to think I have chosen to forgive her, but don't know what to do with these feelings. Please help. First thing I hear there is you don't know what to do with these feelings. The first thing I would say to you is don't let your feelings be truth. Remember, it's all about perspective, looking at your spouse through God's word, which is God's perspective versus looking at your spouse through feelings, which is the world's perspective. And unfortunately, feelings are just feelings. They're not truth. So that's the first thing I would say to you. But then I think also these feelings are coming out of possibly not having an understanding of what forgiveness is. Now, I only have a few minutes and this could be an entire series. Which talking, I think should be a series at some point. <laughs> talking about forgiveness, but um, the Cliff Notes version, I would say, would be this. First of all, we are called to forgive one another as Christ forgave us. That's the bottom line root of the motivation of forgiving. If he forgave me, then I, he is asking me to forgive as he forgave. Unfortunately, we want to be forgiven, but then we don't want to pass on that forgiveness to yeah. other people. Okay, yeah. And I think, too... Um, it's understanding what forgiveness isn't. It's forgiveness isn't isn't saying what you did was okay. Right. I mean, even Jesus when G Jesus died on the cross, he had to die because it was not okay right. the sin that was separating us from him. Right. So him dying is not saying it's okay. It's saying I will love you anyway and I will pay the penalty for this sin. Right. right. So other things that forgiveness is not is not, I think some people think that if they forgive, they're leaving the other person off the hook for yeah. what they did. And that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is also not a quick fix. I wish I could invent that wand that goes bibbidi-bobbidi-boo, but it ain't possible. But we can have forgiveness 
through Christ. Also, forgiveness is not forgetting, okay? They think that, well, we're just to forget it and move on. And no, that's not what it is. So forgiveness is basically letting go of the offense and giving it and turning it over to God and putting it in his hands. Because, you know, the only thing you can do is to look past their behavior and look at their broken heart. Uh, because that's where it's coming out of it. You know, it, it's unforgiveness. Uh, if we live in unforgiveness, we're not granting the other person the desire, the, the, what sort I want to use, granting, we're not granting them the same thing that we desire to get from God. And what's you know? that saying that talks about where unforgiveness is like, um, drinking poison, expecting the other person to yes. die. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that the forgiveness is the start of the process of the healing. And those feelings that might still remain as you work through the process of restoration um, and if there is reconciliation and all of those things, those feelings, um, as your heart changes, those feelings change. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, absolutely. And I think bottom line, and this is where we'll end it here as far as time is concerned, is that another, I think forgiveness is admitting, another way of admitting, I'm human, I make mistakes. And so if I know I make mistakes, and I think that you're not supposed to make mistakes, then basically what happens is, I'm not granting you the privileges that I want to be granted. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I want, because I've been granted that, I'm going to grant you that privilege of understanding that you fall short just as much as I do. So if I fall short and I'm not expecting you, I'm expecting you to be perfect, then that's when there's disconnect and unforgiveness stays and there's bitterness that grows up instead. So... I don't know. That's a hard topic to talk about. Well, it's just, yeah, a short topic, but you did a really good job. Thank you so much for joining us on No Heart Left Behind's Hope in the Heart of Family Life podcast. We hope you felt seen, encouraged, and just a little more equipped to love your family well. If you want to learn more about No Heart Left Behind, be sure to check out our website, www.noheartleftbehind.com or visit the link in the show notes. If you love the podcast, we would love it if you would follow us on your favorite podcast player. And if you love this episode, please share it with a friend. Your encouragement is not just for our egos. It really helps others find the show and encourages them to check it out. Mother Teresa said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. So until we see you again next week, go home and be a world changer. Thank you.